Hey, I'm David Roger, co-founder and CEO of Felix Gray. I'm here to talk with Justin about Felix Gray, digital wellness, improving our relationship with technology, and all things entrepreneurship. Oh my gosh, D. Roger is here. You heard a little bit about him just now. He is my friend from Felix Gray. We've known each other just about a year and some change now, but we met in the same exact setup. We were on a Zoom call. I've told your story once and I'm damn well proud to share it again. But David, Roger, thank you for saying yes to coming on to this episode of The Men of the Hour. Justin, thanks so much for having me. It was fun last time. I think it's going to be even better this time. I think it'll be even better. You know why? Because uh, at the end of this conversation, I've asked you one very important question that I know you're thinking about, and we can't (laughs) ask it until we get to the end of this. But you know what? To start things off, before we even get to Felix Gray, I think the importance of Founders Week, at least on this show, and why people tune into it, and why I believe a lot of folks look up to models like yourself and just want to know what the life of an entrepreneur is. The specialty I've learned, and we've done this series twice now, is that there's just so many different types of stories that come out of that journey and different versions of it, different molds, different uh, experiences is why I wanted to share yours. Can you give us a little bit of a background as to how you even fell into entrepreneurship? Because you've told me before, it's not something you choose to set out for. It's essentially something that just grooms into how you start working. But for you, what was that story? Yeah. I mean, so I did not grow up in an entrepreneurial family. My whole family is basically in medicine. My dad's a doctor. My mom's nurse. My sister's now uh, in residency. My brother and I are kind of the black sheep of the family. Uh, Early on, I, I do think I just never loved just taking rules for rules sake. Uh, I was like, well, why don't we do it this way? Why don't we do it that way? I was just kind of questioning the underlying things, which definitely made me a pretty annoying kid for sure, definitely for my parents. But I think that was kind of always my mentality. And I think that that type of questioning the status quo is something that a lot of entrepreneurs kind of just have. And it you're going to naturally gravitate towards a profession that allows you to have that creativity, that white space, that blank canvas to be able to question different things and try and do something a little bit differently. So, you know, I went to school, I went to Cornell, graduated in 2013, initially thought I wanted to be a lawyer because I do like arguing and pressing on different things. Like I enjoy that stuff, but I realized like by my end of my first year that I didn't think that law would have enough creativity and it would, I would still be in a box in a lot of different ways. And while you could be creative within that box, you didn't have full white space. So I got really interested in entrepreneurship and this is the rise of like, you know, this is what, 2009, 2010. So mobile is just really starting to grow and you're seeing a whole new flux of companies growing from a mobile standpoint. And I just started following it and getting into it and being like, it's pretty cool to just create something out of nothing. Um, And that's kind of how it started. And from there, you know, then I went to go work. Uh, I took an internship uh, at a company called Gus, which is David Rose back to New York. You know, he's kind of one of the big angels in New York, saw a lot of different things there, and then eventually joined the Venture for America program out of college and went to go work for the old CEO of Zappos, who unfortunately passed away, Tony Shea, on his project, Downtown Project. And that's where, you know, I really got thrown into like the deep end of entrepreneurship and things like that. But 
I wasn't ever like, oh, I want to start a company. I want to do this. I wasn't someone who was running lemonade stands at 10 years old, but I kind of had those questions around why are we doing something this way and why not do it this way? And I guess having the confidence and desire to then do something about it when I thought that something should happen. And it's kind of it all started, right? I think so. I hope so. Cause it's the damn good well to start it. Good way to start it rather. The idea of corporate, was that something you ever just shunned away from when you're like, I'm not into this stuff and why? It's hilarious. So uh, when I was a senior, so many people I knew did investment banking internships or like this corporate internship. And they kind of all came back to school and like so many of them already had jobs kind of reminded me of like being in high school and you get, if you got in early to a school and then people were like coasting in like the fall versus like, if you were waiting to get in, in the spring. And so I even got caught up in it and I had a final round. I was very particular, but I did have a final round at IBM and I kind of, and I went there and I was like, well, this is kind of technology. It's like tech consulting. It's an internal consultant group. Be kind of cool. I got there as final round, stayed overnight at their offices in Westchester. And honestly, thankfully I didn't get the job because I was really conflicted if I would take it or not. But part of it was like, I could be done with all this. I could enjoy the rest of my senior year. Startups are not hiring, generally not at school and certainly not like eight months in advance. So like it's much more stressful career path uh, at a school. And honestly, huge and amazing thing to not get it. Um, and then from there, ended up applying for the Venture America Fellowship, getting that in kind of like the March of my senior year. And then that kind of was a really nice easier path into startups than normal, because I do think, which is true of a lot of people, if like you're in college and you're listening to this, I think what's really important is startups are generally hiring for people who know what they're doing. And they're trying to do it like more affordably, pay the market, maybe a little below market, make it up for equity, make it up for responsibility and a learning curve. But like, they're not trying to hire someone who doesn't know anything and then teach them. They don't have time to do that. So it is kind of difficult to break into a new company, an early, early company, if you're right out of school. So doing the two-year program at Selling Corporate is definitely not a bad way to go to start. It's not going to put you on the wrong path because you'll get out of that, you'll know some stuff, and then you can go work for a small company. So it's definitely not a bad thing. And what I'm hearing from you, number one, is you just gave us the secret to <laughs> graduating. No, I'm kidding. But <laughs> really, something there is to be said about that you can take either route it's not always going to be that you get out of college and have that bug in you. That's like, Oh, I'm going to do my own thing because of X, Y, Z reasons. And, or, uh, you know, you go to the corporate route and you learn as much as you can. And something that we've often heard from friends like you, you is that you, you, you just do, you don't think anymore about doing anything. And that said, moving on to Felix gray. And then we got to talk about you and wife, you know, I'm kidding. Uh, we'll, we'll save that for off the record stuff. <laughs> Felix Gray is, I mean, I told you how I discovered it. And if you're listening, there's so much need for protection of blue light as we continue to stare at screens. I remember I had a brain aneurysm or what it felt like one, <laughs> not an actual one. Like if I had the worst headache having sat down, this is when I first met you. And I'm, the reason I'm telling the story is because of the significance of the glasses and I want your story as to like the founding of it and ultimately how you're continuing to operate it now. But staring at screens is not something everybody should always be doing 
we're humans. We were never wired to just stare at a screen and, and look at all this blue light and then get our retinas like figgity fucked up. So I remember I was in, I was at working at NBC, one of my, my first job and everyone on my floor, mainly everyone had spoken of Felix gray as being that glass eyewear for protecting blue lights. And I go, great, let's order one. Ordered my first pair, met David, got the second pair. <laughs> okay. And, and really that's like what we're using all the time now as, as people who need to be staring at screens. So the founding of, if you can tell that story for us. So, so yeah, so I, I graduated right in 2013. I went to work for the CEO of Zappos through the Venture America program, got connected. And basically Tony was putting in 350 million of his own money into revitalizing downtown Las Vegas. Right. And so that's where Zappos is based. Vegas is very much a place with like suffers from suburban sprawl. There's a strip, which like anyone who's a tourist or there for like a crazy night is going to have. But then it's basically just all suburban sprawl after that. And he was looking for a walkable, livable downtown area. He put in this money and we had projects ranging from a million to $25 million. We're buying old decrepit casinos and restaurants and hotels and turning them into this cool stuff that would drive demand in the area. Uh, amazing restaurants you would want to eat in or like really cool experiences, um, great bars. And the idea was eventually you build up that demand and then people want to live there and you start to really see this start, you know, thing take off. We had no idea if these projects were going to make money or lose money. And basically I joined the operations team and they're like, figure it out. And I had never really taken that much finance. I knew a little bit about like Excel through like different internships I had done. But I think part of it is like, you just end up being really resourceful. So I just dove into it and I just started teaching myself how to build financial models. And I got pretty good at all that stuff. And it was a really cool job to do right at school. I had a lot of autonomy, a lot of say in terms of concepts that we should be doing or not doing, but it did mean building models in Excel for 12 hours a day. And my eyes just started to absolutely kill me. They were fried. Yeah. You, like it was, it was, it was not great from that perspective. And I'm looking around and half the people I know, whether they're coworkers or friends at other jobs, they're complaining about the same stuff. Their eyes are dead at the end of the day. They might deal with uh, headaches kind of like anytime, you know, in the afternoon or beyond. Maybe their vision gets a little bit blurry. Um, their eyes would be dry. And so I started looking I'm like, why is this the thing? And I started talking to optometrists and ophthalmologists. I so just really interested in the problem. Uh, and these, you know, experts were saying, look, a lot of this has to do with what screens produce, namely blue light and glare. And if you could filter blue light, you can eliminate glare, you can create this more comfortable experience. The fact is that at the time, and this is still very true today, they're either these clear lenses that were filtering very little blue light, they weren't doing much, basically placebo, uh, or there are these yellow lenses that worked, they're in these kind of hunting goggly type frames, yellow or orange. And while they worked, you put them on, you look like one of the X-Men. And I was like, well, I don't want that either. And so it was this idea of how can you combine something that's going to make your eyes feel good, but make you feel good. You feel confident in what you're wearing at the same time. So we spent the next couple of years with our lens supplier, developing a proprietary way of filtering blue light in a way that's both clear and effective. And, you know, that's why you know, we filter blue light 15 times better than other clear lenses, and it leads to better results. Nine out of 10 people who are Felix Gray, and we have hundreds and hundreds of thousands of customers, nine out of 10 of them report significant improvement from these issues like eye strain and dry eyes and headaches and blurry vision. 
because they wear Felix Grey, right? So we're very keen to ask those people those questions three months after they've started wearing Felix Grey, whether they return them or not. So nine out of 10 is a pretty amazing set. And that's why like you were talking about NBC, word of mouth is still so strong for us because we just built this great product. But at the core of who Felix Grey is, even more so than being a blue light glasses company, you think about why we did this, we weren't set out to start an eyewear company. We were here ultimately because we we're dealing with these issues. We weren't evolved to be in front of screens all day, every day. There's negative effects associated with it, but we love our technology. We get, we're really productive because of it. We get a lot of entertainment from it. And so really at the core of who Felix Grey is and what we are now really growing into is what we're calling like a digital wellness brand. At the core of what we do, we want to improve the relationship between people and their technology. And so I think that's a really exciting place to be from a conversation standpoint with uh, the public. And I think it's a really interesting place to be from a product standpoint, because now you think about, we weren't evolved to be in front of screens and how that affects our eyes, both in terms of comfort and health, but it also affects our sleep and how blue light suppresses melatonin secretion. It affects our ergonomics in terms like our neck, our back, our wrist pain. It affects our general energy and productivity. And so how can we create products in those categories and create better experiences for people with that lens of digital wellness. And you weren't alone when you first started this whole thing. No, yeah. So my, I, I initially started it by myself. I actually started like the Indiegogo campaign, which we raised initial 20,000 to get MOQs off the ground and things like that. But then in the summer of 2015, brought on my co-founder, Chris. Uh, Chris was at hedge funds. Basically, I was with one of my friends, Lizzie, and you know, I was telling her about Felix Gray. She's like, oh, you should meet my, my, her at the time, her boyfriend's roommate, Chris. Uh, and, and I said, oh, what does he do? And she said, oh, she works at, you know, he works at hedge funds. And when Lizzie had first met Chris and said, what do you do? He said, I stare at four screens for 15 hours a day. So, you know, it was kind Almost of- Almost a match was, made in heaven. It was met. So, you know, hilariously, like, you know, then we met, he wanted to be a beta tester in the product. We ended up getting drinks. One of those classics supposed to be there for an hour. We're there for four hours talking about what this could look like. Um, Chris still has that receipt today. And, you know, that's how we grew it together, right? So um, Chris and I took over a variety of different functions, both partnering or divvying up work. But, you know, Chris and I started and we really launched this product in March, in sorry, May of 2015. Which feels like so long ago. Yeah, it was yesterday, right? Yeah. And sorry, I misspoke. May of 2016. May of 2016. Still feels yeah. like forever ago. It, it's but still yesterday. It's been a lot. It has been a long and really fun journey. I love that. I can feel that from you. Ever since I met you, I feel like there's more to you. And even with Chris, I mean, something that you guys have created together as a foundation. Can we talk about that for a moment? The sure. foundation of what you guys have built with Felix Gray has been more than just the product. Something is to be said that everyone I've met on your team, everyone you've introduced me to, the people that have spoken highly of you in our circles, it is nothing but great things. And I think a lot of that's because like your personality is not like most entrepreneurs. And what I mean by that, you're not hot wired. You're not like super crazy all the time. You're not stuck up. Uh, and I'm not just blowing smoke up your butt, but really there's something there at the foundation where I feel like you're comfortable. Chris is comfortable. The operations are comfortable enough for you guys to be who you truly are, which are great guys. But how did you get to that point? Because I know people who are, what is this, eight years into a business 
who are still stressed out of their mind. And if you're listening right now, you know, 10 or 12 people that are like that. So how have, have you guys gotten to that comfortable place? I think, look, stress is always going to be part of it. To say I'm not stressed is, is inaccurate. I think that when you are building something and you're looking to grow something, you're doing something new, it's challenging. There's going to be stress. It's how do you operate under that stress? I view stress first and foremost, like I think of it as a good thing in a lot of ways. I think that it's kind of like a knife sharpener where you can get sharper under stress. I find you can perform very well. But if you are sharpening that knife day in, day out, eventually that blade is going to wear away and then you get burned out. Right. And so for me, it is really finding ways to make sure you're balancing the work, the stress with other things that you enjoy, other avenues of creativity, uh, other avenues of enjoyment. And that way you can maintain that level of stress that is the good stress. That is the stuff that keeps you motivated, that keeps you sharp but it's not overwhelmingly so that you inevitably burn out because I do think that that is a big problem with a lot of people. So for instance, like at Felix Gray, we have an unlimited vacation policy and a lot of companies have an unlimited vacation policy and people don't take advantage of it because the founders at the top, they never take off vacation. They never enjoy. And so everyone kind of looks and says, well, if they're not doing it, I can't do it either. I'm going to be, you know, kind of judged for doing these things. But we do those things. We, we do take off time. Um, you know, I make sure every year to go on like a backcountry ski trip in the middle of nowhere where I'm completely off the grid this year. And in, in a few weeks, I'm actually headed to Kyrgyzstan to live in a yurt for a week off the grid. And so people look at that and they say, okay, well then I can do this, you know? And so, you know, my chief creative officer came to me the other day. We're still, we're feel, it feels very still completely remote right now. Cause Every time we're looking in an office, another variant comes along. So that's a different discussion. But she said, look, I'm thinking about spending four weeks remotely in Mexico City. And I was psyched for her, you know. And so I think that that's really important. Part of the culture that we've established is people work really hard. We expect a lot. We also understand that there is life outside of work. And that is okay. And you can be really well balanced and better suited for a longer term career without that same level of attrition, if you're able to enjoy both work and things outside of work. We're going to entitle that quote, the best of both worlds. <laughs> How cool is that? Do you look like at it. this job now as a lifestyle? Number one question. Number two, do you ever look at it as a clock anymore? Because the reason I ask is the more I step into your world, which is the entrepreneurship stuff and, and the self-starter things, right? And I get to know more people in that space. We don't look at it as like nine to five. You can't. So in order to have the unlimited vacations and to kind of like be able to take a midday, no, wait, you said this yesterday. I can't wait for you to answer this question. Sorry to go back to number one. Uh, do you feel like there's, this is more of like a lifestyle? And then number two, do you look at it as a clock and why? So I don't, I mean, I view it as like, I don't view it as a lifestyle business as in, Hey, we're not here to grow and build something really, really uh, strong. I think there's plenty of businesses and are amazing businesses that are lifestyle businesses where you can have a great lifestyle, but you're not really scaling something in a significant degree. We are building though a lifestyle brand around digital wellness and that improvement between you and your technology. In terms of what you're saying though, is like the entrepreneurship lifestyle and it not being a nine to five, a hundred percent, right? Like, and I think that's to me, a very healthy way to work. Some people really prefer to have boundaries. 
They want to be starting when they start and done when they're done. And that is totally okay. I'm a little different. I'm okay starting a little bit later because I went to sleep later because I was doing some work. I'm okay being like, okay, I'm going to head here, but the entire plane ride, I'm catching up on different things. So to me, it's just like, I'm a very big proponent of like, how am I most efficiently using my time? And so sometimes like that most efficient time might be on a Sunday at 2 p.m. And it might be really inefficient for me to be working Tuesday at 7 p.m. because I'm kind of burnt out and exhausted at the end of that day. And so it really is like, there's love of what I need to deliver at what times, obviously, but I'm going to try and find those pockets of productivity and, and, and really leverage them as much as possible. What I was waiting for you to say was that yesterday you had, we were emailing and you'd mentioned taking a nap. Tell us about that, that trick. So, so yeah, so, so you, you, we had talked about that. I thought we were going to wait till the end, but we're going to do it in the middle. <laughs> oh, wait, you know. through, now they missed it. Uh, this is called podcast. So I like that. You put an Easter egg in the middle. You, you, you tease it that we talk about it at the end and now we're talking about it in the middle. Very smart. Uh, no. So I started doing this um, about a year ago. So, you know, we've been remote now for a year and a half, almost two years, actually, I guess we're coming up March of 2020. 20, we went remote. Um, and I have started to get into this thing where often, not every day, but I call it three times a week that like around 1, 2 p.m., I usually have like a lighter lunch. And then I actually have gotten really into taking a 20 minute nap. I actually set my timer for 22 minutes. And what I found is that it is a really good way of lowering like any stress I've had from the morning. Like I can notice we see my cortisol levels are lower. I also like have had a quick nap. So my alertness is better. And generally the way I staggered is the mornings are my own work holds to like catch up on a lot of things, do a couple projects that are really kind of on me first and foremost without other people. And in the afternoon, it generally tends to be meetings. And so it's a really great way of me being very alert and in a good mood for those meetings to be as productive as possible. And it's 22 minutes. It's really not that big of a deal. You end up wasting more time trying to find, you're like, I need to rest. I need to do something. And then you like go on TikTok or Instagram and you're not rested at all. And so I found that it's a really, really good way for me, at least to make sure that I'm really productive, energetic, positive throughout the entire workday. And then one other trick for me, at least that's worked for naps is like, I will never lie down. So I won't go to like bed I'll never put my, like, I, I face like my face goes in the, my pillow. I sleep like a dead person. I always have to face up. My face has to go up. So like I'll Me be too. on the couch or on a chair, but if I do it that way, then I'm not groggy after that nap. If I were to turn and go the other way, I'd probably be out for two hours and like be really groggy and miserable. So I think that's a big part of the hack. <laughs> that's the hack. And, and for those listening, I don't think we spoil too much because I do have another question we're going to leave for the very end of this. This is David, uh, and you heard him. It's all about productivity and efficiency, breaking up your day with Felix Gray. Maybe that's the name of your podcast episode. Wow, I like it. We're going to move right along. They say not many people are set out to be entrepreneurs. Would you agree with that statement in terms of people being set out. Like, I want to be an entrepreneur. This is something I'm going to do. Or oftentimes, and you kind of alluded to this at the beginning, but do you agree with the statement and why? I think there's all paths of life to get there. Um, I think 
it really is like, can you operate in ambiguity um, is a really important aspect of entrepreneurship. And I think that some people will set out to be entrepreneurs and they're like, I have to do this, this, and this, and this, and this. And that's actually like not operating ambiguity, whatever, you know, basically until we graduate school, we're just taught to jump through hoops. And so it's very hard to teach entrepreneurship in that context. Uh, and some people might find that's not for them. Uh, maybe they're really served like working as a COO of like an early startup, but they come in in a series A or series B. And that's when they're like really adding value. I think people who are starting off the bat, some people are like me who knew it a little bit earlier, but I have plenty of people I know that were in other jobs first in pretty corporate jobs first. And then they really got into it at some point. Right. But I think everyone is really good about, again, the first thing which we talked about, which is like questioning the status quo. Why, why does this have to be this way? Having confidence in themselves to say, Hey, I'll do something about it. Like, cause you kind of have to have like a little bit of like, there's gotta be some ego there regardless. Right. In, in terms of, can you do it? And then when you're actually starting and building something, can you operate in ambiguity? Because in the beginning, it's not very obvious. And honestly, even at the CEO level, like the vision, it's not obvious that your vision is right or this vision is wrong. Um, and you have to be comfortable with taking those bets and, and not being sure if they're going to pay off or not. And, you know, just doing as many possible things to pinpoint and say, okay, triangulate kind of like, this is the right direction, but you never really know. And I think really good entrepreneurs are great at that. And you bring up a good point, which is you never really know. Um, someone asked me the other day, they were like, oh, like, how do you get so good at this? Or how have you built that? How did you launch that? And I go, I still have zero fucking idea of what I'm doing. Do you ever take that and just tell yourself, all right, well, I'm going to figure it out. Or how do you take that phrase alone? Like, I don't know what I'm doing. Um, you know, I think it's a really, um, I think it's a really powerful leadership tool. To, I think a lot of times, like and I definitely, you know, made this mistake early on in my career. And I, I inevitably probably am still doing it today and, you know, trying to learn and get better. But, you know, people look at like a CEO and they're like, that person knows everything. And if you keep up that facade, it's both al like it's alienating and like less human, like you're not as humanizing um, as if you're pretty straight up. You're like, I'm not sure what to do. Like they think these are the things I'm considering. If other people have other thoughts, I'd love to hear it because it does make you more relatable, more vulnerable. And I think that ends up being a really good way of getting people to recognize that like you don't know everything and they're here to help you and you're there to help them. Um, so yeah, I think you know, admitting that you don't know everything is a great tool, not only for just being honest with yourself, but also then sharing that with other team members, because I think that level of vulnerability does create a much stronger level of camaraderie. And then you bring up the next point, which is essentially what I wanted to talk to you about next with team building or team growth. How are you motivating the team at this point? And are, are there doubts in your mind? I mean, you, you said it. And I think most people who are great leaders will say these things. I don't really know the answer, but I hired someone smart to have the answer. Or, you know, like, we don't know how to fit, you know, we're going to figure this out together because we all are on the same team in that sense. But how do you keep your team motivated? And then if you can go back a little bit for us and explain how you, how you and Chris really wanted to build that. 
So, you know, Chris and I, um, you know, we're big believers in this idea of productive discourse. So that's much easier said than done. And transparently, it's, it's a pretty long path to really get there. But ultimately, this idea is that, you know, I talked about earlier that like, I like to argue, like, I think that's good. I think that if two people have different opinions, generally, meeting in the middle of those opinions can often be the best option, not always, by any means, but like, can often be the right way to go. Because if you are debating points, first of all, now you're bringing up things that someone may have not considered, and it's generally going to strengthen an idea or a strategy. But the other thing is like, you really need to have very high level of trust within the team and, and make the space safe in order to do that. And that's why I talk about productive discourse, because often you can be discourseful and it doesn't lead to productivity because we are emotional beings and like there's emotional management that comes along with things. So if you disagree in an unproductive way, people could shut down. People could kind of just like like acquiesce and just defer to one person. But if you're doing it in a space where it's really full of trust, full of respect and full of the knowledge that people are doing this not for their own egos, but for the betterment of the company. Uh, I think that that ends up becoming really, really useful. And I think it's important at then the leadership level to recognize and be like, you're right, that's a better idea because it gets people in this mindset of like, okay, if that person can say it, then like I can also say that if I'm, if I'm working with one of my direct reports and things like that. So that was something that Chris and I were really adamant on. And it does come down to, at the highest level, like they're just, you have to do it respectfully because that respect is going to breed trust first and foremost. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah, no, I'm kidding, dude. <laughs> well, the, I, I love that you say that because I would almost now have to ask you a quite difficult question. The, the thoughts of your team, I'm sure have been like brought up to you and Chris at some point, but something I feel like a lot of companies don't do enough of is getting the feedback from those who are doing most of the work with the CEO, with the co-founders, with the C-suite. And in, I say this as someone who at one point when I was in my early career and still am, when I first started my job and I was like, oh my gosh, like I want to be connected to the C-suite. I want as much attention in that room Right. And I want as much visibility as possible. Luckily, I was supporting someone in there. But at the same time, I started realizing like everyone has their own experience with working and how they work with people. And there are some really, really cool, talented, humble, great folks at the top like yourself. Right. So then has there ever been one particular instance you can give us where someone came to you and really gave you their thoughts on your leadership with Chris, how they enjoyed their time at the company, or even if it was a bad experience, like, was there that one time you can give us where the feedback was so valuable to Felix Gray? I mean, countless times we're really, um, you know, we didn't do this a lot early on. And then I went to an offsite and I really recognized the value of one-on-ones from not just, I think there's three things that make a company successful and it's management on the strategic side. It's then managing the execution of that strategy, but it's also managing the emotions of the people doing that strategy and execution, right? It's threefold. Like we're not robots. So when we, like, we can't just give a set of instructions and just go do it. There's a whole emotional array that comes down, you know, how is, how is this helping my own 
my own growth? How is this helping me as a, as a person? Um, you know, am I building the right connection where there is that trust? Like there's so many different things that go into that. And so I think like really good feedback, there's been a lot of good feedback that has come out of those one-on-ones, but I think one of the greatest values of the one-on-ones to start, one of the greatest pieces of feedback is you need one-on-ones that are there to manage the emotional side as much as they are to manage the strategic and execution side of something. And you hit the nail on the head. I I don't know if too many people listening right now have experienced that, but as we're working, I mean, working could be anything nowadays. I mean, I mean that because everybody, we know what OnlyFans is and I'm kidding, I'm kidding. But we, we just know that like work is just always going to be work. But if you tie such a positive emotional attachment to that, a document could then be a piece of something that leads to, you know, whatever you want it to lead to. But if you have that open conversation with your direct reports or the people that you're working with or working alongside even, right? If you're an entrepreneur and you have clients or you have investors, whatever that relationship is, if there's that emotional touch, um, and you mentioned offsite, I think it's very healthy to have just time to say, you know what, we're just going to focus on the emotional part of the company. We're just going to focus on what's working, what's not working. Um, how did you bal- How did you execute on that? When you found something that wasn't working, how did you and Chris kind of decide to take a different route from like a strategic, just to like get inside your brain here for a sec, but like, how did you really go down a different route and just say, this isn't working scratch it. What was that process like? You're talking about like what's not working from a strategic standpoint or yep. um, I think that it's pretty open and honest conversations. We generally have, um, you know, director meetings and those directors, we do that once a week and different directors obviously then have their own team meetings, you know, once a week. And so you're kind of able to both understand where the day-to-day is going, but then that's also time to have high level strategic conversations or time to say, hey, let's let's talk about this further. But for instance, like, you know, we are now in the process of becoming from going from a direct to consumer blue light glasses brand to an omni-channel digital wellness brand, right? That's a big strategy shift. That means we're not just selling a product through our own D2C. That means that we are expanding beyond blue light glasses to other products that help in categories like I t- talked about you have the eyes, you have ergonomics, you have sleep, you have energy and productivity. And how are you then telling that story of digital wellness in not only then a direct-to-consumer format, but also at retail? And so those are strategic conversations that took us a while to get to. And we would look at, all right, well, what is the brand vision and what makes sense for the brand? And okay, well, what's the LTVs like on D to C and how do you grow how do you grow LTVs? Oh, well, we know that like, you know, 60% of our customer base buys non-prescription blue light glasses. They only come back every couple of years. Well, how can we launch? I'll tease it. Like we're launching an eye drop. We've launched an eye supplement. We're looking into launching some things for carpal tunnel and stuff like that. How do you create other ways of then getting these people re-engaged? And then how do you do that in a way that feels off that is authentic to the brand? Right. And so those are just that's, those are conversations that happen. And sometimes they happen in, um, they, they happen because you can seek different KPIs from like, Hey, we need to talk about this. But generally when you're doing that stuff, it's gotta be a really loose format. You know, I have even a meeting with our, um, senior head of growth and we literally call it. It's once every two weeks. It's called marketing, shoot the shit. 
and it's at 5 p.m. on a Thursday, you have a beer and you're just talking about kind of everything. And then you can go this way and go that way. And, go, and like, it's an hour, but it's by the time it's done at six, a lot of times it goes six 30 goes to seven sometimes. And it's like, then you've had like an hour and a half, two hours, kind of just like be free ranging and thoughtful and poke here and poke there. And that's at a specific marking level. You can also do that again at the same time at like the company strategic level. But then at some point you have these strategies and you're like, okay, well now let's set things in stone. I have action items to then go forward. So I don't know if that totally answers your question, but I think like when you're doing strategy, you're generally looking at like the KPIs things be like, are we going to where we're supposed to go? And if we're going off track, like, do we kind of need to like take a look at the car as a whole and be like, is the car, is, are the wheels right? You know, our thing, you know, and if not, okay, well, how do we adjust the wheels to be the right wheels so that we can be on track? Um, and when you're doing that conversation, I think having like fluid open-ended time in a really like comfortable, like format that is not going to be so regimented is like the best way to get those thoughts out there to let those wandering things happen. And then you kind of grip on different ideas and you're like, okay, well, let's start to explore that. And then that's when you can get regimented again, but you do need that space to be like pretty fluid. Mm. Fluid and structured equals shoot the shit. Yeah. Fluid. Yeah. It's like, it's structured in the loosest sense possible. It's not like, <laughs> Oh, we'll find time at some point to do it because then you never find time. So there's a time allotment, but you do it in a way that can be fluid. Mm. Which goes back to your previous note about 30 minutes ago with uh, creativity, having just a blank canvas with a beer in your hand and you shoot the shit with marketing. I love that example. That's a prized possession. I think I'm going to strip and turn into an IG reel and publish <laughs> 10 years from now. That's cool. Not many leaders are leading in that way. I think it's valuable to get creative and to understand, you know, what's going to work for maybe the person on your marketing team with you loves that, you know, and allows you guys to go into like the led, second and third to, hour. Led to really good discussions. And I do think like I operate well later in the day. So some people might prefer it in the morning. Some people might that want to be that like, that's a breakfast thing where, you know, if you have a work hold until noon, all right, so you start at nine and you have a bagel and you're talking and you're shooting the shit in the morning instead. And like, you know, so some people work in different ways. I prefer I'm okay doing it later in the day. Some people find their energy sap by that point. And so you, then you also have to adjust, right? Like if my senior head of growth was more of a morning person, it'd be like, okay, well, let's adjust this. And like, I think that's another thing that's important about leadership. It's like, not only like, will this person do what you want, but like, are you doing what's right by that person? Do you ever surprise yourself, David? As an entrepreneur, as a founder. I saw, I, I saw your you face. <laughs> Did you see that one coming? Do you know? I, I, saw, I saw that look. I was like, oh, I think I just said something good. I think Justin's happy. <laughs> that's, the, that's the excited journalism look, right? Yeah. The, the excited look of a journalist. Do you ever surprise yourself? Uh, yeah, for sure. Uh, I mean, I think like we just talked about, like I'm, I'm, I, I like being able at times to have these fluid spaces. So you're going to surprise yourself in those times. Um, yeah. And then in terms of looking back, let's just look back eight years. I would say, let's look back at like your whole life, but we're going to need a phase two of this episode. You know what I mean? I could hold, listen, I'm I, down. You, you have a nap to take. You have a nap to take. Hey, no, no, no. I didn't take it hours. today, but you know what? I, I didn't take it today because I knew I'd be really energetic from this interview. So <laughs> 
You heard it here first and here only. My friend, so the reason I asked you if you ever surprised yourself is because I think that as you look back at eight years of building a company, uh, understanding the value that it has for you and Chris, but ultimately now you're you're responsible for your customers, for your folks that are maybe investing, maybe not, right? Your customers essentially invest in the product, but then the team, the people that know the brand, the people that love the brand, like if you left tomorrow, I probably would cry. Damn, I don't know the CEO of Felix Gray anymore. Like, no, I'm kidding. But really, like you have this like a little bit of a heavy lift now. But the reason I ask if you're surprised by that is because you don't really know what you're capable of until you step into it. Would you agree? Yeah, 100%. Um, I think, I mean, that's why you got to take risks and go for it. Um, and then you realize that you're capable of a lot. Um, and you may have already realized that and maybe you were like, and you just kind of confirm that and maybe things become more difficult or they become bigger challenges or whatever it is. And you still step up to them. You're like, wow, okay. So I did that too. So I think if you put yourself in a position to experience those things, it means that you're putting, you're, you're being, you're taking risks and taking risks is generally a good thing. And you'll tend to surprise yourself even if it's just a confirmation of what you thought you could do, you, you weren't really sure. Right. So, um, I think that, yeah, surprise myself often. I think, you know, you try and encourage other members on the team to be able to have that same ability to take risks, try different things, um, to grow themselves so that they can also surprise themselves. There were so many particles to this conversation that I think came out of the questions that I was asking you. And I'm full transparent. Like I would show the audience, my run of show, the questions that we had prepared. I had to ask you one, you unfolded so much more than that, my friend. So I want to thank you for not only saying yes, uh, but to giving us more of your story and to inspire a lot of folks. I think that the point of, again, such a special week like this is to fully understand how the brain of the entrepreneur works what's kind of motivated you guys, what ultimately motivates your team now. And we've gotten to the final question. I wish we could just do like a rapid fire thing with you. And, you know, like, you know, maybe again, like we're going to need a phase two of this entire conversation, but the last question is similar to the one we brought up in the middle, but I'm going to ask it in a different way. Cause for everyone listening, we did pull out that egg in the middle of the conversation, but what's something about yourself as David Roger, you've never told anyone before as as an entrepreneur, sure, but as, as a human being, what's something you've never told anyone? Well, that you took, I was going to talk about the nap <laughs> thing. So I can't believe you didn't tell people you took naps. Oh yeah. You know, just like it never really came up. And then I was like, you know what I've been practicing, which I really <laughs> do think is important. Uh, what is something else that I've never told anyone before? Um, Justin, you're really putting me on the spot because this is number two. I don't know. Um, I'm pretty open. I pretty much tell people everything. <laughs> uh, I, I think I think we're gonna have to visit that in phase two. I'm gonna have to. I really am a big believer in transparency. Like when I never told anyone around the nap stuff, it was just because it. I just didn't really. It never came up. Mm. And and as you're saying, I was like, you know what? I really should share. I'm like, this is something I haven't shared before. I'm pretty open about kind of just everything. Yeah, I, I'm a big believer in transparency, as I think you can tell. So I don't have anything else good for you right now. People are going to have to go back to the middle of this episode. <laughs>
<laughs> All right. So then we're going to do a follow-up for that one. So then in, in, in which case that you've probably never told anyone that you took naps in the middle of the day for 22 minutes and you set the alarm for exactly 22 minutes, right? Being the open yeah. book that you are, can you give us a run for your money and give us one last piece of advice you'd give to anyone who wants to start tomorrow, start anything. You could be wanting to start a book, a podcast, a company. What's one last piece of advice you'd give to them? So it's a great question. I would say as you're starting, whatever it is, obviously seek advice from people who have done it before, but don't take their advice as dogma for things that have worked for other people. It may not work for you and vice versa. It's really easy to be like, oh, and again, this goes back to like how we how we're kind of raised and grow up to like jump through hoops. And it's like, if I study for the test, I get the A. And like, if I, you know, run the, you know, 10 miles a day, eventually I'm going to run the faster, you know, cross country race or like whatever that might be, right. You kind of go through hoops and you're not working with this kind of blank canvas. And so I think whatever you're doing, you have your own vision and you know, it resonates. And so you should get advice and listen, but have the confidence in is chewing different things that don't make sense and to you and then gravitating towards things that really resonate. Right. And I think that that's something that everyone, it is difficult to learn because you look up to people who say, wow, this person did this, this is incredible. Like I should do exactly the same way, but like, no. And I also think that the best mentors are people that also believe that they're not going to be prescriptive in their advice. Hey, you need to do this. You need to do that. They're going to want to listen to like, what's going on with you, offer kind of their own allegories, their own stories, but recognize that like, if you don't take their advice, that's not saying that you don't respect what they're saying. That just that part of that advice didn't resonate with you. And I think that that just at the end of the day comes down to like confidence in yourself, but it's really important as you're doing these things to really stay true to like your vision. And that vision can change based on people's advice because it resonates with you. But if it doesn't resonate, don't do it. I could never have asked to end an episode of this show in a better way because now I have a memoir title for you. Not that we're writing that anytime soon, David Roger. A grain of salt on a blank canvas. What do you think about that? Okay. All right. Well, if you want to, if you want to ghostwrite the book, we can do it. <laughs> ghostwriter. That's the next job. Okay. You've inspired me to be a ghostwriter. I suck at writing. As a journalist, I can say that. I interview people, I get paid to ask questions and shut up. But I can give you the title. You can go trademark it. Grain of salt on a blank canvas. Maybe that's your next business adventure. I don't know. David Roger, thank you for coming on this podcast. Your your story is even more remarkable after the first time I heard it a year and a half ago. And your your advice is valuable. Everything you're accomplishing. I'm so excited that people get to hear the fact that you take 22 minutes naps, that you have all these secret weapons to building a company and to like growing and thriving in the company. So thank you for saying yes. And you always trust me with your conversations, your name and your face. So that's what I really have to thank you for. Justin, appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. Hey, it's Justin again. And before you exit this very episode, wherever you're listening, I want to say thank you for being here. I hope you learned something new and are leaving more inspired by the conversation you just heard. Men of the Hour is also on Instagram and YouTube at Men of the Hour Podcast, where you can find all of our video sneak peek exclusives and full episodes. Be sure to follow and subscribe and do all those great things so that we can stay connected. And right before you jump, I would love to hear from you if you would put a rating and review right here where you're listening. Until next Monday, continue taking care of yourself and building the best possible life.